when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Katharina Falkner. What's that bloody Freemason doing, says the citizen, prowling up and down outside. What's that, says Joe. Here you are, says Alf, chucking out the rhino, talking about hanging. I'll show you something you never saw. Hangman's letters. Look at here. So he took a bundle of wisps of letters and envelopes out of his pocket. Are you codding, says I. Honest, Injun, says Alf. Read them. So Joe took up the letters. Who are you laughing at, says Bob Thorne. So I saw there was going to be a bit of a dust. Bob's a queer chap when the porter's up in him. So says I, just to make talk. How's Willie Murray those times, Alf? I don't know, says Alf. I saw him just now in Capel Street with Paddy Dingham. Only I was running after that. You what, says Joe, throwing down the letters. With who? With Dingham, says Alf. Is it Paddy, says Joe? Yes, says Alf. Why? Don't you know he's dead? says Joe. Paddy Dingham dead? says Alf. Aye, says Joe. Sure, I'm after seeing him not five minutes ago, says Alf. As plain as Pikestaff. Who's dead? says Bob Doran. You saw his ghost then, says Joe. God between us and heart. What? says Alf. Good Christ, only five. What? And Willie Murray with him, the two of them there near what do you call them's. What? Dingham dead? What about Dingham, says Bob Doran. Who's talking about? Dead, says Alf. He's no more dead than you are. Maybe so, says Joe. They took the liberty of burying him this morning, anyhow. Paddy, says Alf. Aye, says Joe. He paid the debt of nature. God be merciful to him. Good Christ, says Alf. Begob, he was what you might call flabbergasted. In the darkness, spirit hands were felt to flutter. And when prayer by Tantras had been directed to the proper quarter, a faint but increasing luminosity of ruby light became gradually visible. The apparition of the etheric double being particularly lifelike, owing to the discharge of jivic rays from the crown of the head and face. Communication was effected through the pituitary body and also by means of the orange fiery and scarlet rays emanating from the sacral region in the solar plexus. Questioned by his earth name as to his whereabouts in the heaven world, he stated that he was now on the path of pralaya, or return, but was still submitted to trial at the hands of certain bloodthirsty entities on the lower astral levels. In reply to a question as to his first sensations on the great divide beyond, he stated that previously he had seen as in a glass, darkly, but that those who had passed over had summit possibilities of atmic development opened up to them. Interrogated as to whether life there resembled our experience in the flesh, he stated that he had heard from more favoured beings now in the spirit that their abodes were equipped with every modern home comfort, such as Talafana, Alavata, Hatakalda, Water Closet. 
and that the highest depths were steeped in waves of volupsy of the very purest nature. Having requested a quart of buttermilk, this was brought and evidently afforded relief. Asked if he had any message for the living, he exhorted all who were still at the wrong side of Maya to acknowledge the true path, for it was reported in Devanic circles that Mars and Jupiter were out for mischief on the eastern angle where the ram has power. It was then queried whether there were any special desires on the part of the defunct, and the reply was, We greet you, friends of Earth, who are still in the body. Mind, CK, doesn't pile it on. It was ascertained that the reference was to Mr. Cornelius Kelleher, manager of Messrs. A.G. O'Neill's popular funeral establishment, a personal friend of the defunct who had been responsible for the carrying out of the interment arrangements. Before departing, he requested that it should be told to his dear son Patsy that the other boot which he had been looking for was at present under the commode in the return room, and that the pair should be sent to Collins to be sold, only as the heels were still good. He stated that this had greatly perturbed his peace of mind in the other region, and earnestly requested that his desire should be made known. Assurances were given that the matter would be attended to, and it was intimated that this had given satisfaction. He's gone from mortal horns. Odingham, son of our morning, fleet was his foot on the bracken, Patrick of the beamy brow, wail, Bamber, with your wind, and wail, O ocean, with your whirlwind. There he is again, says the citizen, staring out. Who, says I. Bloom, says he. He's on point duty up and down there for the last ten minutes. And begob, I saw his physoc do a peep in and then slid her off again. Little Alf was knocked boys. Faith, he was. Good Christ, says he. I could have sworn it was him. And, says Bob Doran, with a hat on the back of his pole, lowest blackguard in Dublin when he's under the influence. Who? said Christ is good. I beg your parsnips, says Alf. Is that a good Christ, says Bob Doran, to take away poor little Willie Dingham? Ah, well, says Alf, trying to pass it off. He's over all his troubles. But Bob Doran shouts it out of him. He's a bloody ruffian, I say, to take away poor little Willie Dingham. Terry came down and tipped him the wink to keep quiet, that they didn't want that kind of talk in a respectable licensed premises. And Bob Doran starts doing the weeps about Paddy Dingham, true as you're there. The finest man, says he, snivelling, the finest, purest character. The tears bloody near your eye, talking through his bloody hat, fitter for him to go home to the little sleepwalking bitch he married, Mooney and the bun bailiff's daughter. Mother kept a kit in Hardwick Street that used to be stravaging about the landings, Bantam Lyons told me, that was stopping there at two in the morning without a stitch on her exposing her person, open to all comers, fair field and no favour. The noblest, the truest, says he, and he's gone, poor little Willie, poor little Paddy Dingham, and mournful, and with a heavy heart he bewept the extinction of that beam of heaven. Old Gary Owen started growling again at Bloom that was skeezing round the door. Come in, come on, he won't eat you, says the citizen. Sir Bloom slopes in with his cod's eye on the dog, and he asks Terry, was Martin Cunningham there? Oh, Christ. McKeown, says Joe, reading one of the letters. Listen to this, will you? And he starts reading out one. Seven, Hunter Street, Liverpool. To the High Sheriff of Dublin, Dublin. Honoured sir, I beg to offer my services in the above-mentioned painful case, 
I hanged Zhou Gan in brutal jail on the 12th of February, 1900, and I hanged... Show us, Joe says I. Private Arthur Chase for foul murder of Jesse Tilsit in Pentonville Prison, and I was assistant when... Jesus, says I. Billington executed the awful murderer, Toad Smith. The citizen made a grab at the letter. Hold hard, says Joe. I have a special knack of putting the news once in he can't get out, hoping to be favoured. I remain honoured, sir. My terms is five guineas. Age rumbled. Master Barber. And a barbarous bloody barbarian he is too, says the citizen. And the dirty scrawl of the wretch, says Joe. Here, says he, take them to hell out of my sight, Alf. Hello, Bloom, says he. What will you have? So they started arguing about the point. Bloom saying he wouldn't and couldn't and excuse him no offence and all to that and then he said, well, he'd just take a cigar. Gob, he's a prudent member and no mistake. Give us one of your prime stinkers, Terry, says Joe. And Alf was telling us there was one chap sent in a morning card with a black board around it. They're all barbers, says he, from the black country that would hang their own fathers for five quid down and travelling expenses. And he was telling us there's two fellows waiting below to pull his heels down when he gets the drop and choke him properly, and then they'd chop up the rope after and sell the bits for a few bob a skull. In the dark land they bind, the vengeful knights of the razor, the deadly coil they grasp. Ye, and therein they lead to Erebus, whatsoever white hath done a deed of blood, for I will on no wise suffer it even so, says the Lord. So they started talking about capital punishment, and of course Bloom comes out with the why and the wherefore, and all the codology of the business, and the old dogs smelling him all the time. I'm told those Jewies does have a sort of a queer odour coming off them, for dogs about I don't know what all deterrent effect and so forth, and so on. There's one thing it hasn't a deterrent effect on, says Alf. What's that, says Joe? The poor bugger's tool that's being hanged, says Alf. That's so, says Joe? God's truth, says Alf. I heard that from the head warder that was in Kilmainham when they hanged Joe Brady, the Invincible. He told me when they cut him down after the drop it was standing up in their faces like a poker. Ruling passion strong in death, says Joe, as someone said. That can be explained by science, says Bloom. It's only a natural phenomenon, don't you see? Because on account of the... And then he starts with his jawbreakers about phenomenon and science and this phenomenon and the other phenomenon... The distinguished scientist, Herr Professor Luitpold Blumendorft, tendered medical evidence to the effect that the instantaneous fracture of the cervical vertebrae and consequent scission of the spinal cord would, according to the best approved traditions of medical science, be calculated to inevitably produce in the human subject a violent ganglionic stimulus of the nerve centres, causing the pores of the corpora cavernosa to rapidly dilate in such a way as to instantaneously facilitate the flow of blood to that part of the human anatomy known as the penis, or male organ, resulting in the phenomenon which has been dominated by the faculty a morbid upwards and outwards philoprogenitive erection in articulo mortis pedinutionem capitis. So, of course, the citizen was only waiting for the wink of the word, and he starts guessing out of him about the Invincibles and the Old Guard and the men of 67, and who fears to speak of 98, and Joe with him about all the fellows that were hanged, drawn, and transported for the cause by drumhead court-martial, and a new island knew this, that, and the other. Talking about new island, he ought to go and get a new dog, so he ought. Manji ravenous brute, sniffling and sneezing all around the place, and scratching his scabs, and round he goes to Bob Doran, 
that was standing Al for half one sucking up for what he could get. So of course Bob Doran started doing the bloody fool with him. Give us the paw. Give the paw, doggy. Good old doggy. Give us the paw here. Give us the paw. Ah, bloody end to the paw. He'd paw and Alf trying to keep him from tumbling off the bloody stool the top of the bloody old dog and he talking all kinds of drivel about training by kindness and thoroughbred dog and intelligent dog give you the bloody pip. Then he starts scraping a few bits of old biscuit out of the bottom of a Jacob's tin he told Terry to bring. Gob, he golloped it down like old boots and his tongue hanging out of him a yard long for more. Near ate the tin and all, hungry bloody mongrel. And the citizen and Bloom having an argument about the point, the brothers' shears and wolf tone beyond on Arbor Hill, and Robert Emmett and die for your country, and the Tommy Moore touch about Sarah Curran, and she's far from the land. And Bloom, of course, with his knock-me-down cigar putting on swank with his lardy face. Phenomenon. The fat heap he married is a nice old phenomenon, with a back on her like a ball alley. Time they were stopping up in the city arms, Pisser, Burke told me, there was an old one there with a cracked luteramen of a nephew, and Bloom trying to get the soft side of her doing the mollycuddle, playing bezique to come in for a bit of the wampum in her will, and not eating meat of a Friday because the old one was always thumping her craw and taking the lout out for a walk. And one time he led him the rounds of Dublin, and, by the holy farmer, he never cried crack till he brought him home as drunk as boiled owl, when he said he did it to teach him the evils of alcohol, and by herrings, if the three women didn't near roast him, it's a queer story, the old one, Bloom's wife and Mrs. O'Dowd, that kept the hotel. Jesus had to laugh at Pisseberg, taking them off, chewing the fat, and Bloom with his, but don't you see, and but on the other hand, and sure, more betoken, the lout, I'm told, was in powers after the blenders round in Cope Street, going home footless in a cab five times in a week after drinking his way through all the samples in the bloody establishment. Phenomenon.